Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to That's Truth. I'm glad that you've tuned in and joined us tonight. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm in the studio with Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Pastor Murphy, I am really excited to be back in the studio here in Antigua with you again. Well, we're glad to have you back. I hope you've been able to settle back in, and I'm glad to have you back on the program. Yeah, I'm excited about what the Lord has in store for us this evening. Before we discuss our main topic for the night, I want to ask you a quick question that was put to me recently when I was talking to someone, and the question is, why should I go to church? I see lots of hypocrites there, and besides that, I feel just as close to God when I'm working in my yard. Well, that's that's a very simple response I can give you. Um, we go to church because we are commanded to go to church. Uh, the Bible says, forsake not the ascending ourselves together, as the man of Islam is. Remember that the church is not something that man started. The church is an uh, institution, and it's also an or, uh, organism that the Lord has started. And he has said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The other thing, of course, is that uh, for the sake of testimony, uh, you can stay home and your yard, do your work, whatever it is. But what does your neighbor think about you? Does he relate that um, staying home um, to the fact that you have a relationship with God? What kind of a testimony are you presenting? And then doesn't God have a word for you? And uh, there are times that you're not in church, that God has a word that you're going to miss. How are you going to grow and um, develop your Christian life? And then finally, um, church is not just about you being fed. Church is about you being part of a a group, and you have a a particular gifts and talents to be used within that ministry. So there's some people that you can help. And if you think there are too many hypocrites in the church, well, why don't you show them how to live by being there? (laughs) Tonight we're going to discuss the topic of what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. This topic has caused a lot of controversy in Christian circles. However, our goal is not to cause controversy, but rather to provide clarity by going to the Bible and seeing what it has to say on the topic. Pastor, let's start out this topic of what the Bible says about speaking in tongues by defining what are tongues in Scripture. If you take the scriptures, uh, you'll find that tongues is only mentioned three in three different books. One is mentioned in the book of Mark, chapter 16. You find it mentioned in the book of Acts four times. And then you come to the book of Corinthians. It's mentioned in Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. If you take uh, those passages and you look at them in a context, it is very, very clear that the tongues in the scriptures relates to a human language that a person was given the supernatural ability to speak, having not learned that language. Um, Tongues is not ecstatic speech. It is something that could be understood. Uh, But again, it needed an interpreter. 
so biblically, uh, when it comes to tongues, we're talking about human language, and we're talking about people given the capacity to speak that language who had never learned a language in the context of proclaiming the gospel. When did the gift of tongues first express itself? Well, uh, the first expression of it that we find in Scripture, basically, is in the book of Acts chapter 2. Reference is made to it in the book of Matthew uh, chapter 16, and in that chapter, it is given as one of the sign gifts that would accompany the apostles as they proclaimed the gospel in the world. It was a means of confirming the truth of what they were preaching, authenticating the message. So it was a sign gift that was given initially when the gospel was being preached. Uh, the next reference to it is in the book of Acts chapter 2. Uh, we were told on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came, and uh, the Holy Spirit, when he came, one of the signs that he had come uh, in accordance with the book of Jude, which is prophesied it, uh, you find that the apostles began to speak, and every man heard them in their own language. This is what mesmerized the, 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 the people who were there. They knew that these were Galileans. They knew that these were Jews, but yet they were hearing uh, them speak in different language. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find about seven or eight different dialects that were there on that particular day. Uh, and that was what was a striking phenomenon, that here were people who had never learned uh, another language, but now they're speaking language, and people can understand them glorifying God in the word that they were preaching. So it, it first began in Acts chapter 2. So it was never a heavenly language. It was always a known language that was spoken somewhere else by another people group on this earth. Well, it would be challenging for anybody to, to talk about a heavenly language because if you look at the word glossolia, which is the same word that is found in Acts, also found in Corinthians, there's no disparity between the two, two words. They all refer to the same thing. And certainly the, the gift itself, uh, which was promised in, in Matthew chapter, uh, Mark chapter 16, is the same gift that Paul refers to in the book of Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, where it's talked about one of the spiritual gifts that is given by the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about a human language. We're not talking about gibberish. We're not talking about ecstatic speech. We're talking about language that could be understood. What was the purpose, and you've already touched on this somewhat, but what was the purpose that God gave that sign gift of tongues? The main purpose that is given in, in Matthew chapter 16 and certainly it is corroborated in Acts chapter 2. It has to do with the proclamation of the gospel and the message, especially to unbelievers. You'll find also in Corinthians that Paul would say that signs are the gift to the unbeliever. It is interesting that in every case it is found in the book of Acts, it relates to the presence of the gospel being preached where there are people who are, are not saved or they're Gentiles. Um, for example, well, I mentioned Acts chapter 2 already, where you had all these people coming at the day of Pentecost, so many different dialects. The book mentions several different people from different parts of Mesopotamia, from Rome, etc., etc. Uh, and clearly, that's language there. Nobody disputes that. When we come to Acts chapter 8, we find where the gospel is taken to Samaria. Now, the Samaria were a mixed breed. There were um, people who were transposed from Assyria, brought into Israel, and then there was intermarriage between the Jew and the Assyrian, creating what is called the Samaritan race. And when the gospel was taken there uh, to preach, when they received the Holy Spirit uh, at that time when they were being preached, uh, again, you had the phenomenon of speaking in tongues. But notice the gospel is being preached. So it's not only to the, the, the Jews who had come from all different parts of the world in Acts chapter 2, but in uh, uh, Acts chapter 8 when it goes to Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 10, when the gospel is first preached to the Gentiles. 
again, you've got this sign gift, this confirmatory gift that is to vindicate the message that was being preached. It's at that time when Cornelius trusted the Lord that they also given the sign gift where they received um, um, the speaking in tongues. And then in Acts chapter 19, we have an unusual phenomenon where um, the disciples come to a place called Ephesus and they find the remnant group of believers who trusted in uh, followed the baptism of John the Baptist. But again, when uh, Paul presents the message to them, they too experience the same phenomenon of speaking in tongues. But you'll notice in every case, it's where the gospel is preached, uh, where the message is being affirmed and, and uh, vindicated uh, and to be authenticated. There is this sign phenomenon because this is the sign that the Bible had given Acts chapter, in Matthew chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, sorry, um, would be the sign gift of the vindication of the message. Every case, it has to do with unbelievers. Every case, it has to do with uh, the proclamation of the message. And again, I refer, when you come to Corinthians, you'll find that Paul mentions again that, sign, that, that tongues are a sign to the unsaved person, the person who's not saved. Let's skip forward from the times of the Bible and the times of the New Testament to more modern day. Can you give us a brief history of the, the modern tongues movement? Well, the, the modern tongues movement began with the Pentecostal movement, which began, the con- Pentecostal movement began in the 19th century, uh, towards the beginning of the, the, at the end of the 19th century. Uh, in terms of the modern uh, movement, it began about 1955 within the Pentecostal movement, and then it really, really got a, a tremendous thrust and leap in, in, uh, in um, about 1960. This is where uh, Episcopalian a uh, pastor in California uh, announced to his congregation that he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and had speaking, spoken in tongues. The media took this and ran with it, uh, television and news. And then, of course, there was a, a book, a best-selling book that was authored in connection with this matter. So, really, in truth, like, you're talking about 60 years ago that this modern phenomenon started to raise, it, raise its head. Prior to that, you do have um, some fringe groups that got involved in, in speaking in tongues, but no real orthodox main group of believers ever began to experience this phenomenon until about 60 years ago within the Pentecostal movement. Our tongues for today. Biblically, when you, when you look at the book of Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, tell, tells us that tongues is going to cease. Um, it is a matter of interpretation whether that has actually taken place. And the reason why Paul mentions that we'll cease, he said that when that which is perfect has come, that which would in part be done away with. The orthodox position and my position, my theological position, is that with the completion of the canon of scriptures, the Bible, uh, there was no need any longer for this gospel to be authenticated. Uh, All scripture has been given and and, uh, having been given, uh, that sign gift, which was the initial gift given to the apostles, to vindicate the message uh, with the completion of the canon of scriptures, I really don't see any relevance of it uh, in terms of the, the church. Uh, I might point out here, Brother Nathan, that you know this phenomenon is not exclusive to Christian sects. Okay. Uh, uh, p- pagan tribes um, speak in tongues. Uh, the American Indians have these aesthetic experiences where they speak in tongues. Islamic cults also speak in tongues. Of course, uh, certain sect of the Mormons also speak in tongues. 
the uh, Shakers and the uh, a group out of the Quakers as well, they spoke in tongues. In every case where uh, this phenomenon um, was practiced prior to the 1960s, basically, it has to do basically with the fringe groups who are just on the borderline of the, the Christian faith. You don't find any mainstream Orthodox Christian group who engage in this activity. Is our God still capable of empower, giving me that gift and empowering me to communicate through a language I've never studied? I have no doubt that God has the capacity to do the miraculous. Uh, if the message needs to be preached and uh, it's a situation where you don't know the language or a missionary doesn't know the language, that makes perfect sense that God can intervene. God is sovereign. God cannot be boxed in. And there are times when God does something extraordinary but it must be to fulfill his initial purpose, which is to get out the gospel. So I, I have no problem in, 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 in uh, conceiving that it is within the, the realm of possibility that God can miraculously give a person the capacity to speak another language in order that, that gospel may be preached to, say, a tribe or a dialect that the missionary is not familiar with. So it, I, I do feel that it, it is possible uh, in, in the missionary context for this to happen, but I don't see the value of it within the context of modern-day Christianity within the Western world. I, I think it creates tremendous uh, confusion. And as a matter of fact, the way it is practiced, I can say definitively, it is not biblical, it's not scriptural, and it is very, very suspect the way it is practiced within the modern church. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, uh, the second part of the verse says, Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And you referenced that verse earlier. Would you say that that ceasing has taken place, and during what time period did it take place, if it already has? Well, again, it comes back to interpretation. Um, most uh, modern-day uh, Orthodox um, fundamentalists would, would say that, that that was completed during the New Testament days. Um, you do not find this phenomenon outside the Corinthian church in the Bible. Uh, we're not too sure if it was limited to that, but certainly uh, it's not mentioned in another uh, church in the Corinthian, within the, the New Testament context. We don't find this phenomenon with any of the streamlined churches up, as I said, until about um, um, the 1955 when the, the Pentecostal movement was started. Prior to that, you will find a few fringe movements, uh, fringe groups who are engaged in this activity. But I think it's a matter of interpretation. I personally think that it's no longer needed. I think it has ceased. In terms of putting a, a specific uh, um, historical date on it, I, 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 can't, I can't give that to you. But I think looking at it from Scripture, um, the fact that we are told that it was going to cease, the fact that we haven't seen it until the uh, reco re recovery of it in the 1950s, and then look at the confusion that is created within the modern church, I think uh, one has to be very, very careful in terms of that movement. Let me just say this. This is not to discount the fact that a lot of people were sincerely engaged in it. But once again, uh, if you look at the practice of it in the modern church, you will know that it's, it's out of order. You know that it's contrary to Scripture. And if the Holy Spirit is the one that has given us the Scripture, we have no doubt about that. Why then would he bring a movement within the church that goes completely contrary to the guidelines and the principles that he's laid down in Scripture? Something is wrong with this phenomenon. And I think those who are engaged in it, uh, while it's an emotional experience, and I'm not 
going to question that. But we never judge any movement or any activity for the church on the basis of experience. The final authority to decide if something should be practiced in the church or involved in the church or engaged in the church, it has to be the Word of God. I was reading this afternoon on the topic and came across uh, an article by John MacArthur, and he holds to the view that the gift of tongues ceased during the apostolic age. And one of his basis for that, and I found it interesting, he said in 1 Corinthians, one of the earlier epistles, it's mentioned, but there are many later epistles that never mention the gift of tongues, almost as if it had ceased, uh, and he has other reasons. But that was I found that interesting. We have a question that has come in from a listener in Antigua via WhatsApp. The question, Pastor, is... There are so many things in the Old Testament that Christians say are not relevant to us today since Christ came. For example, the law, sacrifices, dietary restrictions. How then can we refuse to acknowledge this gift of tongues since it was something given to the church after Christ came? Shouldn't doctrines after Christ be relevant today? Well, again, let me just say this. I I, I heard your statement, but I would disagree with something you said there. There are a lot of people who, don't, who, who uh, I mean, when it comes to the ceremonial law and the liturg- liturgical law in the Old Testament, uh, clearly those are no longer applicable because Christ has fulfilled all of those in terms. There were types and um, symbols, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But certainly the law has a vital role to play today. Uh, and when I say that, it's not a means of conversion, but the law is a means of of, of um, it does three things, basically. Four things that the law does according to Scripture. Um, first of all, it, 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 it produces guilt. The, the world becomes guilty as the law is preached. If the law is not proclaimed, there's no guilt. The law um, magnifies sin. It, it lets us know exactly what sin is. And, um, um, and then if you read um, the, the book of Galatians, I think it is, uh, it also tells you the law is a schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. So the, the, why, why we don't use it as a means of salvation, it is still to be used as a means of letting people know what sin is, to bring guilt upon the consciousness of men. If there's no law, there's no sin. And if there's no sin, there's no guilt. So to say that we, we, you know, the law hasn't, doesn't have a purpose, I, I, I would strongly disagree with that. As a matter of fact, in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 3 and 4, Paul says that the preaching of the gospel establishes the law. And, um, well, I, I don't want to get into the debate on, on how it establishes, but I, I can explain that to you at another, another occasion. But coming back now, there are things in the Old Testament that don't have any relevance today. What is important in the Old Testament are the moral principles and the spiritual truths. Those still carry over into the New Testament. So we can go to the Old Testament to discover certain principles to help us to make certain moral decisions. Uh, but again, we come to the New Testament. We're not discounting the fact that it was given as a gift. But not all gifts continue until our Lord returns. For example, I have no doubt in my mind that there are no prophets and there are no apostles. Uh, Pastor, why do you believe that? Well, read Ephesians. It was the apostles and the prophets that laid the foundation for the church. Once the foundation was laid, there's no need now to relay the foundation again. And besides, the Word of God is totally complete. We don't need a prophetic word. Uh, God has already spoken the fullness of His revelation. We don't need apostles who speak ex-cathedra because God is not conveying any new revelation. 
so if those gifts, for sure, are, are no longer relevant. The, the tongues, that gift is no longer needed uh, uh, to be a confirmatory gift. And, and let me just say this. I think the way it is practiced today, I, I want to go to the way it is practiced today. There is no biblical basis for the methodology and the modality in which it is practiced today. Uh, when we come to Corinthians chapter 14, uh, you'll find that the Apostle Paul lays down some very, very clear guidelines on the exercise of the, 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 the gift of tongues, if it is going to be used. And let me, could I sh- let me just share this very quickly. Uh, Paul says, that gift should never be used in the church unless there's an interpreter. I have been to churches where I visited with friends, and everybody was speaking in tongues. Number one, I was so confused. I couldn't even pray. Uh, the noise was, was just um, overbearing. Uh, it sung like pandemonium and confusion. And I think that unbelievers who go into those kind of services take away that same uh, evaluation. But there must be an interpreter. Then Paul said, if they're going to speak alone, there must be two or three. It can't be the whole church. And then Paul says, the two and three must speak in course, in sequence, not at the same time. And then Paul says, uh, again, if you don't um, have an interpreter, interpreter, Paul says, uh, keep silent in the church. Now, which current church do you know, or anybody knows, who follows these biblical guidelines in terms of the exercise of the gift? Now, if the Holy Spirit has given us a scripture and given us instruction and principles of how to um, conduct the use of this gift within the local church, and this is being ruthlessly violated uh, by churches, something is wrong. And if those admonitions weren't enough, later in that chapter, Paul reminds us that God is not the author of confusion. Thank you to the individual who sent that question in. I trust that that answer was helpful to you. Maybe you've just tuned in. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 kilohertz AM and 92.3 megahertz FM. You can also listen to us online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Maybe you've never tuned into this program before tonight and you're wondering who is this pastor, Dr. David Murphy, what gives him the credibility to answer these questions? Well, let me remind you, he's going back to Scripture, but let me just share a little bit about Pastor Murphy. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in English. He's originally from Barbados. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Theology, a Master's degree in Religion, a Doctorate degree in Counseling, ongoing studies with the Blackford Counseling Center in England, He's been married for over 36 years. He was a public school teacher for four years. He served in management position for three years, marketing position for four years, evangelism in Barbados for two years, and he's been ministering as a pastor in St. Vincent, St. Lucia, and Antigua for over 30 years. He's preached in many different churches around the Caribbean. And Pastor, I came across an article today, and someone was stating why every Christian should speak in tongues. And one of the reasons that they gave was that when you pray in tongues, your spirit is in direct contact with God, and God is a spirit. So when you speak in tongues, you are talking to him by divine supernatural means. Are we, if I'm praying in tongues and there's no one else around, but if I'm praying in tongues, am I in a 
better communication with God than if I prayed to God just in English? Let me make two quick comments to the uh, person that uh, probably wrote that article. Number one, uh, you're contradicting the Bible because Paul makes it very clear in Corinthians chapter 12 that all cannot speak in tongues. Tongues is a gift. Everybody doesn't have the gift. All Christians do not have the gift. So the suggestion that every believer should speak in tongues, right off the bat, that is not only an error, a mistake, but that is perfect heresy. Uh, clearly, uh, read the epistle for yourself. You see that Paul makes it very clear that we all don't speak in tongues. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that when you go into the study of the book of Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul <laughs> uh, would be humored to hear somebody say like that because Apostle Paul said, I will pray with my understanding and I will sing with my understanding. Uh, so, so, so here is the, the senior uh, uh, Christian, the, the mature Christian. I doubt the, the person who wrote that would ever compare with the Apostle Paul in terms of his knowledge and his insight and his, his relation with God. But yet Paul said, when I'm praying, I want to pray with my understanding. And Paul is saying, uh, by the way, when you when go later on in Corinthians chapter 14, Paul makes the point as well that if in the church people begin to pray in tongue, uh, the person who is there can't even say amen because he's not edified. So the idea that, um, uh, you know, you don't use it in public, but use it in private, and every Christian should use it, clearly it falls down on its face because it cannot happen. It will not happen. It's not a gift that every believer has, and that was not the intended purpose of the gift in the first place. It's a gift for the unbeliever. It's a gift to confirm the message of the gospel. It's a gift to declare the gospel in the language. It's not a gift for a person to be communicating uh, with God. The person doesn't even know what they're saying, and uh, how can they ever be edified? I had a phenomenon when I was uh, an experience when I was in um, pastoring in Saint Vincent. There was a church that I uh, I was just below where I was living, and they brought a guy over from Guyana, and he came over from Guyana to teach the people in the church how to speak in tongues. Now, how in the world could that be something that is taught when the Bible makes it quite clear the gift of the Holy Spirit? Uh, so it, it, this thing is totally suspect. I don't see any value of it. Uh, however, I would like to say this. In every case, when the Apostle Paul deals with this matter, the Apostle Paul is very, very, very careful in what he says uh, on, on this, this subject. Uh, he, he doesn't condemn its use. Uh, and uh, clearly when you read uh, Corinthians, he seems to, uh, to, uh, to teach that it's a legitimate gift. But the Apostle Paul uh, gives clear direction. And this is where I, today, I don't practice the gift. Nobody in our church practices the gift. We will not encourage anybody to practice the use of the gift. We see no value of the gift whatsoever. And if it was to be practiced it would have to fall with those four guidelines that Paul gives within the church, which I repeat, are not practiced in the modern church. And if this is not practiced in the modern church, it cannot be the Holy Spirit incentivizing and moving people to go contrary to the word that is given to us. There are passages in the New Testament where people speaking in tongues coincided with them receiving the Holy Spirit. So is it a sign of of receiving the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to speak in tongues? 
Well, look, they, they, the reason why they, they push this, this town movement, they give a lot of different reasons uh, why they think it. Uh, so there are some groups that believe that it's the evidence that you're really saved. Others uh, say that it's a sign that you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. But again, that is not true because we are told that we are all baptized into the Holy Spirit uh, when we are saved. We become part of the body of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. There are others that, that tell you that it's the way of receiving the second blessing. Uh, sometimes a, a, a mark of high spirituality. As a matter of fact, the speaking of tongues have led some people to develop a spiritual pride and they look down their noses and consider other people second-rate Christians. So it, it augurs the human pride. What, what fascinates me, by the way, is that Paul calls it the least of the gifts. And he, ta- he tells the believers uh, in, in Corinthians chapter 14, uh, be no longer children in understanding. So here are carnal believers, uh, awed by this f- phenomenal es- uh, kind of a gift that they have, this this this, this display of this on uh, this uh, supernatural phenomenon, and they are misusing and abusing the gift. The apostle Paul is trying to bring some order within the assembly, but here we are in a modern age, harping after the least of the gifts. And, and that, 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 should say, that should say a lot about the state of the church today. If that doesn't speak to the state of the church today, I don't know whatever else will. It makes me think of the passage where Paul talks about milk rather than meat. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is uh, referred to in the book of Corinthians chapter 12. And in that particular passage, the Apostle Paul um, t- says to the Corinthians, that we are all baptized into the body of Christ. When a person puts their faith and trust in Christ, uh, they are incorporated into the body of Christ by the, the Holy Spirit, uh, putting them within that body. That is what is meant by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it, uh, contrary to what Paul says in Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 12, uh, that we all, don't all speak in tongues, in Corinthians chapter twelve thirty, Paul said we are all baptized into the body of Christ. So it's clearly the, there's not a, a parallel between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and, uh, and the matter of tongues. Yeah. But baptism of the Holy Spirit has to do with being incorporated into the body of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul talks about in um, Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Now, Pastor, last week when answering a question about divorce from the book of Mark, specifically about the phrase, putting away your spouse, you answered that question by saying, don't take one particular verse, but get the context, get what the Gospels as a whole say about the topic of divorce. Is this not a similar case where are there not more verses that instruct about using tongues than there are to say not to use tongues? Well, again, that that's that. Take the the matter of the 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 argument the person used there that when you're praying in tongues, you're praying with the spirit and you're more in connection with God, etc. Again, any rational, reasonable person, if they were to take the scriptures and go through the the use of the tongues in in uh, Mark sixteen. Uh, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 14. Uh, you, it's very, very clear that 
in every case, it has to do with the authenticating of the gospel that is being preached, whether it be to the uh, the Jews on the day of Pentecost, whether it be to the Samaritans in chapter 8, whether it be to the Cornelius in chapter 11, or to these ex-disciples of John who had not come under the phenomenon of, of, the, 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 uh, of um, the, the, the need for uh, Christian baptism. In every case, clearly, it relates to the confirmation of the gospel in those cases. Um, uh, again, you, you take the, the fact that was mentioned to you a moment ago that when you look at the other books of the Bible that came much later uh, from the, after Corinthians, there is not one single reference to tongues in those books. But here's another thing that people need to think about. Uh, name any great Christian uh, that we can think about from the 18th, 19th, or 20th, 20th century. Any one of them. Uh, You're thinking like Hudson Taylor. Yeah, Hudson Taylor, uh, Spurgeon, Wesley's, Calvin, yeah. uh, Zwingli, Moody, uh, George Mueller. Not one of these that God used so phenomenally in the history of the church. Not one of these spoke in tongues. Well, I've never thought of that. No, but it, it's something that, and by the way, we can mention others. Yeah. Uh, Pray and Hyde. Uh, we can talk about countless uh, uh, men that God used so extensively, both in evangelism uh, and in church ministry. Not one of these men uh, uh, ever experienced speaking in tongues. And these were spiritual giants. Today we've got pygmies, but these were giants. So uh, it's not a matter of spirituality because they were far more spiritual than we are today, far more powerful in terms of the preaching of the Word and how God used them extensively, but not one of them, not one of them, ever spoke in tongues. I remember it was not until 1955 to 1960, 2,000 years of church history, uh, and you check 60 years out of 2,000 years, suddenly this new phenomenon has come on the scene. But here's where I think that the danger, the real danger of the ecumenical movement of the charismatic movement is it has begun to grow and now the Catholics have embraced it Protestant church have embraced it it's becoming the glue to bring all churches together mm. and that to my mind should be a clear warning because you go to the book of Revelation there is going to be an ecumenical church in the end time and uh, it's all going to be headed up by the Catholic church and I don't have any doubt in my mind that they are using this phenomenon to bring other churches on their umbrella. We have to be very, very careful. We have an enemy that is subtle. We are told in the book of Matthew chapter 24 that the chief characteristic of the end times is deception. Mm. And we have to be very, very careful. When Paul started writing on uh, the book of uh, the uh, tongues in chapter 12, he said these words, No man calleth Jesus a curse by the Spirit. Uh, and again, the word a curse is similar to the word Maranatha. And this is the problem with tongues. It songs very much, Maranatha means the Lord cometh. Uh, the word there, a curse, is anathema. We're God. And Paul is saying, uh, what I think Paul is dealing with, that there are people using language. They don't even know what they're saying, but they're being used even to curse God. And Paul said, no man speaking by the Spirit ever called Jesus a curse. So this phenomenon, if you don't understand what you're saying, my suggestion to you is to hold your peace. You may very well be used by the enemy uh, to blaspheme the name of Christ and call him names that are inappropriate. So one has to be very, very careful in this area. That's a sobering thought. 
Do you think, Pastor, that the the tongues movement and the confusion that has been caused by it is in many ways being used by Satan to turn people on believers away from the church and maybe even some believers turn them away from the church because of the confusion and keeping them from maturing in the faith? Look, what I think is happening today is that uh, people are they they they're looking more at the matter of experience and I would also say they want to be entertained. Uh, people today have tickle ears, tickle ears to be tickled. Uh, you go to the Bible and talk about what Christian maturity is. Uh, Christian maturity is a demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit. Why are people so absorbed with speaking the tongue where there's so little fruit of the Spirit in their lives? Uh, he is a master of getting us fixated on minor minor things and making the minor the major. And I, I have no doubt in my mind that the enemy is exploiting uh, this phenomenon and he's doing it very, very skillfully. And uh, there are people who have lost the spirit of discernment and not able to decipher his fingerprints in what is going on uh, in, in terms of this, this, this phenomenon. I would caution uh, a lot of people in these churches to be extremely careful uh, about this this matter, and I think I think I'm sure about this that the way it is practiced in the modern church, I have no doubt in my mind this is not of God. Got a question here from a listener, and they are asking you, Pastor, to clarify First Corinthians chapter fourteen verse thirty two, and that says, "And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets." What that basically is saying that. And I'm, I'm glad that came up because there are a lot of people who say that they, they can't control themselves. But what that verse is teaching is that if the uh, person has been given the gift of prophecy, he can control the prophetic uh, utterance. That is why Paul talks about sequence. Uh, a person that says, uh, you know, I just got the gift and I'm just going to exercise the gift with all my freedom and liberty and I don't have any control about that. That's why Paul emphasizes that this, the, the, prophet, the, the spirit that gives the prophet the gift enables the prophet also to, to control the gift. So it's, cause, it's, it's speaking about the, the idea of order. It's talking about the idea of control. Uh, the phenomenon where people fall down and foam in their mouth and t- turn over and, and uh, roll on the floor and jump over chairs and so on and so forth. Take it from me. This is pure pyrotechnics. This is not God. This is, this is, this is just superficial. It's artificial. And uh, it is out of order. And it's very, very clear they're controlled by a spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. What advice do you have for the listener who is hearing what you're teaching from Scripture but currently attends a church that practices speaking in tongues? I have a simple advice. Uh, look, you've got to develop your own convictions. Uh, my recommendation to you is to get into the Scriptures, study the Scriptures for yourself, study the passages, trace the use of tongues, and in particular go into Corinthians chapter 14 and do an in-depth Bible study at it and see exactly what tongues really are and then what was the real purpose of tongues. Uh, Paul states it very clearly in chapter 14. Um, I would say to you, get this thing settled in your mind as to what the Bible teaches on the matter. You become convicted of the Holy Spirit that what is being done in your church is contrary to Scripture. I would suggest to you, find a good church, a church that falls in line with the Bible. I'm not trying to pull you away from your church to my church. That's not my point. My point is that you have to find a church that 
teaches and expounds the word according to what the Bible says. It, it doesn't matter if you're seeing miracles or signs in your church. If it is going contrary to Scripture, take it from me. Those are bogus signs designed to lead people away from God. The final authority, I cannot emphasize this too much, is God's Word. That is the standard. And you need, you need to get yourself established in the Scriptures. But once you've come to the conclusion that this is what the Bible teaches and the Holy Spirit convicts you about that, my recommendation to you, talk to your pastor. If he st still maintains that what he's doing is right and you can show him in Scripture, it is time to move to another church, find another, another, another group that you can identify with, serve the Lord, and uh, hold to the truth of Scripture. If I have a friend that practices speaking in tongues, how much time do you suggest that I should debate the topic? Or is it more of just an issue of practice rather than doctrine? I don't know how I can answer that question. Um, I, if I had a friend who was inclined in that direction, um, clearly I would try to move it in the direction of um, what the Bible teaches on the subject. Um, I don't think this is a thing that you can debate. I think you just got to show them the scripture, ask them to, um, you know, ask the Lord about the interpretation of, of the passages. Uh, do your your utmost best to bring clarity to the issue. But I don't think you can, you can't argue somebody into truth. You can just show them the truth, but the Holy Spirit has to open that person's eye to the reception of that truth. But I would not give up on them. I would, I would uh, periodically make mention of it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, there are people who have come out of the movement, by the way. Uh, there are people who have really come out of the movement because they've realized it's, it's, it's virtually exhausted them. They're going from one experience to another experience, and then when it comes down, it's like having a high and come down to a low. And there's nothing of substance that they can they can anchor their soul in in the, in the times of trials in, in life. Uh, you can't live on sugar, and you can't live on ice cream all the time. You need meat. You need something solid. Give me your thoughts on this thought on tongues. Speaking in tongues eliminates the possibility of selfishness entering our prayer life. For instance, if I pray a prayer out of my own mind and out of my own thinking, it may be unscriptural, it may be selfish. Again, uh, the logic of that sounds attractive. But when you look at the, examine the, the thought behind it, you can see the deficiency in it. Again, go back to what Paul said in Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is God's counselor. But remember what Paul wrote and not just Paul's thoughts. This is what God has for us. Uh, Paul makes it very clear that when he's praying, he wants to pray with his understanding. Right? Uh, he, he's not he's not absorbed with this phenomenon of going through this aesthetic speech or whatever uh, people are, are practicing. Paul says, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words that I don't understand. So if that is Paul's preference, and he was uh, an inspired writer, I, I, I don't think that there's any way that we can twist that to mean anything otherwise than Paul says, I want to pray with him. As a matter of fact, could I say to you that a lot of people who are engaged in this tongue movement, as I mentioned before, it often leads to a spiritual pride. They always look down on other people who don't speak as though they're second-class Christians. So it engenders pride, and you see that in the book of Corinthians, really. But uh, again, Paul Paul labels the Corinthian church a church where carnality was rife in it, and he was bringing back some order and balance to it. Children always love toys to play with. 
they don't like something solid and, and something to provoke them to think and to study. Uh, they don't like people appeal, appealing to their mind. They want people to appeal to their emotions. I think this was the modern church is. I think it's an infantile church. I think there's a lot of biblical illiteracy in our churches. And I think pastors play up to it because the emotions is what people are geared to uh, rather than giving people the solid meat of the word. I think it's a mistake to think that it, it, you, you know it doesn't help you to be unselfish. I think it helps you to be more selfish. And not only that, I think it lets you to be very confused because if you don't understand how you're praying, how can you pray effectively? I mean, how can I be praying in, in Spanish or in, in German or another language I don't understand uh, and I'm just uttering words. I don't even know if the words are the sentence structure. It's got but, the subject of verb. But how would you reconcile that with Romans 8.26 that says, We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself or himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Is, doesn't that sound like tongues? No, that's not tongues at all. It's something completely different. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit where a believer is so overwhelmed. He's faced with a crisis, a situation. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to tell God, what to ask God. He goes before God, and in a very real sense, he almost moans and groans before God. And that is where the Holy Spirit picks up. And the Holy Spirit now intercedes for the believer, uh, but there's no no about nothing about language there with, with groanings and uttering, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So this is the Holy Spirit uh, interceding before the throne of God on the behalf of the believer who is completely befuffled. He doesn't have an answer. He doesn't know who to turn to. We have a question that just came in via WhatsApp from Antigua, and the question is: Of all the gifts listed in Romans 12. And 1 Corinthians 12, why is it only the prophecy and tongues gifts that some Christians say are not usable today? Um, I really can't answer. Um, I try to remember, when you take all the gifts in Ephesians and in Corinthians and some in, in Peter, there are 19 gifts I know that I mentioned. Uh, it, it's very simple why we don't believe that the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. Number one, go to the book of Ephesians and you will find that Paul tells us very clearly that the prophets and the apostles laid the foundation of the church. Now, if, you have, if the foundation of the church has been laid by the apostles, uh, the evangelists and the pastors build the superstructure. Are we now, do we now need to rebuild the foundation again? Uh, so they have fulfilled their function. The Word of God is complete. We don't need prophets. God's Word, all that God has to say to us, God has to say to us in His Word. There are no new prophetic words that will come. Uh, that, that is complete. What God has, And you cannot read Genesis, by the way, in the book of Revelations. Anyone that can read those two books together is like the first chapter, the last chapter. Those books are complete. And then, again, there is a verse in Scripture that tells us tongues will cease. First yeah, Corinthians right. thirteen eight, love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they it shall does. be done away with. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. There you have your answer. Um, so we have a precedent, a biblical precedent for believing that there are certain gifts that have been discontinued because they've already fulfilled their purpose. And uh, so you've got to see where we're coming from. Earlier in the program, you mentioned in Isaiah, I believe it was, about uh, tongues being uh, 
described as a sign to Israel, I believe is how you put it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is found in uh, Corinthians chapter 14. Um, uh, it's found in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. And in Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. Uh, let me just see if I can turn there quickly for you. Uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. And in the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that, uh, they will not hear me, saith the Lord. If you go to Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 11, you'll find that uh, that is a passage that the Apostle Paul alludes to. And it has reference to God speaking to Israel because of Israel's uh, failure to listen to God. God said, I will now turn around and give you a sign. And of course, um, he said he will speak to them in a language of other people. Again, on the day of Pentecost, who's on the day of Pentecost? They're Jews from all parts of the world. It, it, it's, it's one of the great feasts of Israel. People have come from... If you go to the book of Acts and see the, the variety of uh, nations that were there for the different uh, locations, etc., etc., he talks about uh, Jews. He's talking about the different... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse from 10. Persia, yeah, yeah, verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus in Asia, from Phrygia and from Philia, from Egypt and from the parts of Libya and Cyrene. Here you've got a conglomerate of different languages and this is the phenomenon now that here are the Jews and the, the promise was that I will speak to you in another language and it will become a sign to you. And then on the day of Pentecost, clearly, it comes. And here you have the apostles who speak the Hebrew language and the Greek language and now speaking uh, all these different type of dialects. And the Jews are aware that something phenomenal is happening. God is intervening. Thank you for joining us this evening on That's Truth. Thank you for your interaction and your questions. And have a great night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.